0: Welcome to Fear the Fro. Shot blocked by Mobley. Holy Mobley! Donovan Mitchell is eight from eight from downtown. There is Garland. Hit it from Euclid. Slam down. Yeah. A Cleveland Cavalier podcast.
1: What do we need to add? What do we need to give, the Coach? The game has come down to space and opportunity. We address that. Hosted by the voice of
0: Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, his name is Bob Schmidt. Bob, Bob
1: Schmidt. Schmidt, spectacular talent. That guy is a legend.
0: At the Hello, Cavs fans. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. It is your fellow Cavalier fan, lifelong fan. Bob Schmidt, host of the Fear the Fro podcast, here to talk with you today about the state of the Cavs as we head into what is a very difficult stretch for the next five games. Four of them on the road. We will get the magic at home, probably tonight. I'm assuming you're listening to this on Wednesday because I'm taping it on Tuesday. But maybe you're one of the early adopters, one of my absolute favorite people in the world. The people who, as soon as they get the notification, fire this bitch up. And if you're one of those people, well pat yourself on the back because you are responsible for the Fear of the Throw podcast becoming what it's become thus far and what it may become in the future. So here's the slate of events. I want to take a look at some things. Now that we're 20 games in, 25% of the season behind us, a good chance to look at where the team is and where they may be headed. And then I'm going to have a discussion with Jonathan Osborne, host of the Sixth Man podcast and Orlando Magic podcast, because this is a team we should be familiar with as we're playing them twice in the next three games. Not to mention the fact that they are a surprising success story in the early part of this NBA season, a team that just ripped off a nine-game winning streak before falling to the Brooklyn Nets in their most recent game, and a team which is currently tied for second in the Eastern Conference. Now, last we spoke, we were coming off what I might term as the most disappointing loss of this short season, short 20-game sample that we have, and that was the Portland Trailblazers. We don't need to rehash that. Since that time has happened, the Cavaliers did prevail over the Detroit Pistons, who following a no-win November have now lost 17 consecutive games. Now, if you think the noise was loud, uh, and I would say in this 2022, 20, what is it, 2023, 2024 season, uh, the the noise around JB has never been louder than it was after this Portland Trailblazers game last week. It's been loud consistently, basically, since the Knicks series. A lot of people feel that we should move on from him, and maybe eventually down the line that will be the case. I certainly was pretty crushed by the results of that Portland Trailblazers game, but Make no bones about it. Had he lost to the Detroit Pistons, had he been the one to snap that 16-game losing streak, it would have been deafening. In fact, I've already began to prepare my anthem, which this one is going to take an absurd amount of time because there is a lot of auto-tune involved. So I will have an anthem prepared in the event that JB is terminated, but just the fact that I'm in pre-production of that process right now, Uh, it should signify to you that I'm starting to embrace the possibility that that could actually happen in season. My stance up to this point has been basically, I don't believe that the Cavaliers are an organization who would pull the plug on JB during the middle of this year. One, well, for a couple reasons, but I'll hit the big ones. One, I don't think there's a clear better alternative. Who is it that we want to bring in from the outside right now Who's even available? Mike Budenholzer? Mike D'Antoni, maybe? What you're realistically probably looking at, if JB gets run out of here, is an interim situation of Luke Walton or Dave Yeager or one of those guys already on the staff. Now, maybe you prefer that. Maybe you just feel like we've reached the ceiling of what we can reach with JB and we need a new voice with these guys. And I'm not going to try to dissuade you of that. But the other reason why I don't believe it would happen is because this is a pivotal year for the Cavaliers' long-term hopes. And there's no way you can sugarcoat this. Firing your head coach is in season is a sign of organizational instability. That is the exact wrong message that the Cavaliers want to send Donovan Mitchell in a year which is leading up to the year when the pressure is really on. Now, we've got a little bit of a runway year. Technically, Donovan will still be on the roster next year, even if he says you know, I'm not going to extend. I'm not going to sign this extension. But if he hasn't signed an extension after this next summer, the noise will be much greater about us possibly shopping him and moving him before we can recoup nothing. Right now, we're in a window where the pressure that exists upon us is entirely self-imposed. All we have to do to maximize our chances and feel like we've left everything on the table is just play up to our level of talent, which we are not doing yet. But I don't think... The front office is going to be in a rush to make that kind of move in the middle of the season, unless it puts them at some sort of strategic advantage to get a guy that they want before the rest of the market starts looking. And I don't think that situation exists. Now, that's not to say that I'm entirely happy with JB. I have my frustrations, and these are what they are. I don't think JB is particularly good at identifying when things are starting to unravel quick enough. There were far too many runs by the other team for my taste, where I feel like the yarn just unravels a little bit too much. But I also will say, we love hindsight. We love noticing the failures and then essentially doing the autopsy. Do we do that with wins? No, we generally celebrate the players. Evan Mobley has a career night, seven blocks, 19 rebounds, 17 points. We celebrate him. Donovan Mitchell scores 40. We celebrate him. When we lose, though... Every mistake becomes magnified, perhaps bigger in my view, is that we'll take something like Darius Garland turning the ball over at a record rate and we'll assign that failure to JB. Do you think the team would be performing better if Darius was? I absolutely do. Do we think JB is responsible for Darius's inability to make the correct decisions? I don't. I put that accountability on the players. Now, if it's a guy like Craig Porter Jr., it's his first year, he needs to be sat down, and things need to be pointed out, that's one thing. Darius Garland is an all-star. Darius Garland is a max contract player. My expectation of his performance falls far more upon his shoulders. I look to JB to put the role guys in positions to win. I look to our stars to perform in situations where I expect stars to perform. Now, I think some credit should go to JB for finding out ways to get Max and Yang in a rhythm. Yang has his limitations as a player, sure, but his shooting is really coming along, and he's had some huge stretches. In that Detroit game, the role guys, Struce, Jared Allen, George Yang, even Isaac Okoro, they were all pivotal in making sure we didn't dump that game to the team that is the Pistons. Who gets credit for riding those guys for the minutes that they rode them? Until Darius and Donovan finally kind of took over at the end. JB deserves some, doesn't he? Now, this is coming off more apologetic to JB than I intended, but my point is simply that I'm entirely open to the idea that JB is not the coach that will take us to the next level. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have universal faith, but I tend to be of the mindset that much of defense is hustle, effort, and desire. And you can't question JB on the defensive results. I mean, even in the series we lost to the Knicks, we finished the NBA playoffs last year with the best defensive rating. We just happened to be so bad on offense that it didn't matter. Too many turnovers? That's on the players. Not making your jump shots? That's on the players defensively, I tend to hold a coach far more accountable for the results because I think so much of defensive success is based on effort and engagement. And those are the things that I think a coach can inspire in a player and can draw out of a player. And at least, as we're sitting right now, our defense might not be at the level it was last year, but it's still an upper echelon defense. Now, I get that there's an idea or a belief that perhaps— This is as far as we can go with JB. He's a defensive-focused coach, and he'll never be able to implement an offense. But I am inclined to give him a little bit longer of a rope this year because we're seeing an effort, if nothing else. Now, part of the credit goes to the front office for identifying that Struess is the type of player who can force movement into an offense. But credit also has to be given to JB for trying to implement it. The path of least resistance is to allow Donovan and Darius to just iso us into oblivion. But all the secondary creation from people that we've seen in this Cavaliers roster, Evan Mobley, piling up assists, Jared Allen, his highest assist, Max Struess, killing it off the ball, absolutely killing it. A lot of that credit is, of course, due to the players just developing their own games. But... JB has managed to get career years and assists out of three of the five members of the Cavaliers starting lineup. So will it be an immediate success story or will it even inevitably work? Who knows? I don't know if we can find a way to balance the incredible ISO scoring of Donovan Mitchell with the type of success and just the general good vibes you feel when we're in this movement pick-and-roll-with-Darius-at-the-helm type offense that has, at certain times, this season has looked incredible. I don't know if we'll be able to strike that balance. And that may ultimately be J.B.'s downfall, but it also may not be. It's entirely possible that we end up having to confront that because of whatever Donovan Mitchell's choices are before we even get to the point where they pull the plug on J.B.' So I have my concerns, absolutely. But I didn't I didn't intend this twenty-five percent of the season's done podcast to be a discussion about JB. However, I have heard from a few of you who have emailed me at bob at fropod.com, who have asked me what my feelings on the coaching situation are. And I guess that's sort of a brief summary. I'm not entirely happy with JB, but I am still skeptical that any move is going to be made just due to the sensitivity of the situation around Donovan Mitchell. I am heavily invested in everything to the point where sometimes I think you just can't see the, the forest through the trees, though. We lose to Portland. I wanted to blow it up. And yet over the last 10 games, only two teams in the Eastern Conference have outperformed the Cavs. And that's the Bucks and the Magic. Now, we're 10 minutes in and I somehow made this about coaching when my intention was just to highlight some high points statistically of this first 20 game sample. So let's get to that. The first guy I think that we should put the focus on is our big offseason addition, Max Struess. I will give you numbers, but first, let's just talk about the eyeball test. I don't know about you. But on top of being the star of that Pistons game, so many times this season, it has felt like Max Struess is dragging us into a more motion-centric offense. His energy, his consistency, sometimes to the point where he gets texts on plays he's not involved in, they have all been a revelation. And while 90% of the discourse over the course of this offseason was, can he turn his percentages back in the right direction and will he be the consistent three-point shooter we need, It's all the other things that are the story now. Career highs and rebounds, assists, steals, blocks to go along with the fact that he's a nearly 38% three-point shooter this year, taking about eight attempts per game. Now, we we can compare. We can see if the hypothesis that, well, he'll get better looks here and that'll result in better percentages is holding true. Now, the idea was he would get more wide-open three-pointers. In reality, less of his three-pointers are coming in wide-open situations. Last year, over 20% of his shots were with a defender more than six feet away, and he made those at a 43% clip. This year, only 16% of his looks... And he's knocking down half of those. So his percentages, the story here is that he's become more efficient, but his shot selection is actually more difficult in Cleveland. 50% of his shot attempts with the Cavaliers have come with a defender within four feet of him. That's up nearly 10% from when he was in Miami. So I don't know how you can complain about the results, but the reality is that he has taken higher degree of difficulty shots in this Cavalier offense. There are some cool developments, though. We've all seen how much he gets other people involved. And at this point, Evan Mobley, clearly his favorite target. He has twice as many assists to Evan as he does to his next biggest recipient, and that is Jared Allen. But he's found ways to get Mitchell, Lavert, Yang, all of them big benefactors of Max Strews' passing. Now, this is just a random piece of trivia that I thought was interesting. Who do you think on the Cavaliers has had the most success in terms of giving the ball to Max in places where he completes the shot. Now, I'm not talking about the volume of assists. I'm talking about when is Max the most efficient? What guy is feeding him the shot attempts that he actually converts? And the answer there is our other free agent acquisition, George Nyang. He's shooting 62% on passes From Yang to Struess. Struess has made seven of the 11 attempts he's put up from beyond the arc that have come from George Yang. So, keep that in mind. As you're watching, if you see a pass go from Yang to Struess, it's probably going down. That's what the data is telling us. Let's move on to Jared Allen. Now, anyone who follows me on Twitter, at FearTheFroPod, knows that the man is leading the NBA after this first 20 games in true shooting percentage. 72%. Propped up in large part because he's had an absolutely incredible run in the last week. There are some lowlights. You may have noticed that his double doubles aren't coming with the frequency that they have in past years, but that's almost directly correlated to the fact that Evan Mobley is at a career high. He has doubled up his previous high for the first 20 games of a season with double doubles. 12. George Nyang. Still finding his rhythm shooting-wise. He is not at the 40%. Many people have looked to, but he's at a career high for rebounding. That is a theme you will keep seeing repeated and is probably directly related to why Jared Allen hasn't had to lock so many double-doubles because the other guys are crashing the glass. And while I didn't pull up the stats, I think we can all look at what Okoro's done and say that there is a renewed focus on rebounding from him, from Dean Wade. And with the additions of Struess and Yang, who are giving us more on the boards than we probably expected, this has been a good year in terms of early season developments on the glass. Now for Evan, comparing the first 20 games of this season to other seasons, there was definitely a lot to feel good about. Specifically, his true shooting percentage continues to tick upward. He broke that 60% threshold. His rebounding, he has 40 more boards than he's ever accumulated at this point in the season. But what I really took away from it was reminding myself how good he was in the first 20 games of his rookie year. Evan has been great at the free throw strike this season. Evan was equally great to begin his rookie campaign. The sample sizes are virtually identical. This season, he's 77% on 59 free throws. His rookie year, over the same number of games, he was 79% on 65 attempts. He has recorded less blocks and steals than he did as a rookie over the first 20-game stretch. And this is the crazy part. Evan has only taken 10 three-point attempts. He's virtually abandoned that. He took 38 attempts over the first 20 games of his career, nearly two a game, and shot 34% from outside the arc. Now, my point is not that rookie Evan was better than this Evan, because that's not true. It's more just to remind everyone how dominant Evan came out of the gate as, if we happen to have forgotten, because he had such a hard fade at the free throw stripe in the second half of that rookie year. So this year, his minutes are down, But his efficiency is up across the board, as are his county numbers, just a tiny bit marginally. Now, there is no good to report about Darius Garland if you're going to dive into numbers. Those are not going to be favorable, so I'm not going to speak about them. And Donovan Mitchell, slightly off the pace that he began last season with, but still incredibly prolific. The fact is, though, I just wanted to celebrate a handful of those things from some of the ancillary guys on the roster. Now, I don't want to waste any more time because we got to talk Cavs magic. So let's transition to the guest portion of the Fear the Fro podcast. Joining the Fear the Fro podcast, a man who covers the Orlando magic. His name, Jonathan Osborne, and along with his co-host, Luke Sylvia, they host the Sixth Man Show, at Sixth Man Show on Twitter, also available anywhere you get your podcast. Jonathan, thank you
1: for taking the time to join me to discuss the Orlando Magic. Bob, thank you so much for uh, for having me on. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to these matchup, matchups this week. And uh, yeah, just look forward to talking some Magic and Cavs here. It's an exciting thing to watch this season
0: because I, I, I certainly didn't expect what we've seen in this last month. an historic run, really. Nine victories in the last 10 games. Probably would be 10, if not for Mikhail Bridges and living at the line. Uh, I was just curious to kind of get a sense of what the, the mood is amongst Magic fans.
1: I mean, the vibes are high right now. That's that's sort of the, been the, the theme the, the past month, you know, with a really strong November. And like you said, the nine game win streak, which matched the uh, Magic's franchise record. You know, it, it's funny because we, we've sort of talked all off season that the Magic could be, you know, close to this good. Maybe not quite as good as they've been lately. But it's been funny to see sort of the the national reaction to like oh everybody sort of expected the magic to you know maybe be a play in team and there's a long season to go you know we're just about a quarter of the way through the season but as good as the team has been playing recently I don't think anybody you know even magic fans expected the magic to have the kind of run that they had you know the past couple of weeks here it's been a lot of fun
0: specifically to that there's a lot of things when I look at your team from the outside that seem to be going well but if you could point
1: to just a couple of things that maybe you didn't expect. What's been the biggest surprises? Well, I think part of the biggest surprise is that you know for the the m- most of the season now, you know the last twelve games we haven't had Markel Fultz, The last fifteen games we haven't had Wendell Carter Jr. And when both of those guys went out, especially Wendell, it, the you know it was a real question of like you know how are the Magic going to be able to weather the the storm over the next few weeks until Wendell is back with the you know breaking his hand. I think that's been one of the biggest surprises is how well they've played missing those guys and how guys like Goga Batadze and Mo Wagner and Anthony Black have sort of stepped into those roles and, and really ex- excelled in ways. And then behind that, it's it's been the way that the bench has played. You know, The bench has been uh, you know a, a topic of discussion amongst Magic fans for a long time because if we did have a good starting lineup in past years, the bench would come in and, and, and lose the lead or if they were down the opponent would extend the league, but the bench has just been playing really, really well this year. You know, number one offensive rating for the bench in the league, third in bench net rating. So I think that's uh, even more so than the injuries, just the way the bench has really played. It's been a, a big benefit for the Magic.
0: Speaking to the bench specifically, a week ago or so, before Karis Levert went down with an injury, I was having a conversation about how strong his bench play was to begin the season. And at that time, the odds for sixth man of the year, Levert was plus 1,200 for Levert to like plus 2,500 for Cole Anthony. But if you were to look at those same odds today, Cole Anthony is now a plus 700, which puts him only behind Tim Hardaway Jr., Quickly, and Austin Reeves. And that's to say nothing of some of the unbelievable things that Mo Wagner's been doing so far this season. Right now, Mo Wagner would be one of two players if the season ended today averaging above 60% from the field, above 37 percent from three and above 80 percent from the free throw line. Think about how rare that is. A 60-35 guy is basically non-existent. It has happened one time in history and that man is Nikola Jokic. Mo Wagner is arguably not getting enough attention because Cole Anthony and the rest of the bench have been so good.
1: Yeah he and he and Cole have both been great. I have um Some stats here. I think, uh, yeah, Mo Wagner, sixth in total points off the bench. Cole Anthony right now is leading the league in total points off the bench. Uh, Mo Wagner is also fourth in field goal percentage at 63% for anyone averaging seven or more attempts per game. And he's second in the league in charges drawn. So, again, to to your point, Wendell Carter goes out. And one of the issues that we had with the Magic's front office during the offseason was that they didn't really go out and address the backup center spot. But obviously, you know, plenty of times before, and once again, they know better than we do, that these guys were just going to be able to sort of plug and play. It's sort of hard to overstate just how good Mo Wagner has been off the bench for the Magic. I mean, he gets two feet in the paint with the ball in his hands, and you just feel like every single time he's going to score.
0: For a team so young, I think maybe the move that jumped out to me the most in the offseason was you guys bringing in Joe Ingles. How have you felt about his time with the Magic so far?
1: You know, this has been sort of a, another discussion amongst Magic fans throughout the the first, you know, five or ten games of the season. People weren't really able to see the vision behind, you know, the way that they were utilizing Joe Ingles in that second unit, really as sometimes a primary or secondary ball handler, and wasn't really getting the the three point attempts that we thought that we were going to see from him, because that was you know really the idea behind the signing was this is a veteran presence going to bring in three point shooting, sure give you a little bit of ball handling but you know the last you know handful of games or especially during this stretch he's just been great at facilitating with that second unit knocking down threes as well right now he's tied for fifth in assists uh, total assists off the bench shooting 39% from behind the arc and then you talk about just sort of the the wisdom and experience and the poise that he brings this team as well as you know Joe Ingles is, is notorious for being one of the better trash talkers in the league the edge that he and Mo Wagner both bring this team and that second unit. So both of those guys have been great. And uh, Joe Ingles has been a lot of fun to to watch play the last couple of weeks here.
0: Absolutely. Mo, definitely a guy who I waffled between respect and hate. Uh, An excellent irritant, as it were. But let's talk defense, because for much of the early part of this season, the story for the Magic has been your dominant defense. However, the Cavaliers are making inroads. After a slow start, after their health, not being what you would ideally like it to be. Over the last 10 games, while you've been destroying teams, the Cavaliers have had the second-best defense in the NBA. Now, we seem to be built opposite. We're built inside-out, you're built outside-in, but certainly two different approaches, both
1: producing excellent results so far. What are your thoughts on how you'll match up with the Cavs? Well, I mean, if, if I look back at matchups from last year, I remember one game in particular... Jalen Suggs was guarding Donovan Mitchell down the stretch. It was a close game, and Jalen was all over Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan's just one of those players where you can play as good defense if you as you want. If he's feeling it, it really doesn't matter, so that's always something to watch because guys of his caliber and, and Darius's caliber, if they're feeling it, there's just not really a ton that you can do. That being said, yeah, Jalen's been incredible this year. Uh, he's, according to Cleaning the Glass, towards the top of the league in steal and block percentage for guards. Uh, he's second league wide in total steals, third in defensive loose balls recovered per game and top 15 in deflections per game. So when it comes to these teams that have these dynamic guards like you all have, that's where we're very much like, okay, this needs to be a game where Jalen is just playing, you know, with his hair on fire. And then also, you know, get some help from a guy like Anthony Black, who, although he's a rookie, has been much better defensively early on than I think anybody could have anticipated. And all we're really hoping is that they can slow your guys down just a little bit.
0: Last week on the pod, I had uh, Bryce Simon uh, from the Pistons Pulse podcast, and we were discussing third-year players. And there are overlap with our teams because obviously you guys have Franz Wagner. uh, We have Mobley. I thought it was interesting to look at the success your team is having, and I wondered how you felt about the progression of Wagner because in the last week, he's been absolutely unbelievable. The last four games... 28-7-5 28-7-5 and five on 61-64-83 splits. And I realized, tiny sample. But it's a contrast to my point, which is that much of the early season, his numbers haven't necessarily blown you away in terms of the progression. So I was curious where you feel, how you feel, rather, about the progression of Franz from last year to this year and things that you feel like maybe haven't taken the leap you were expecting.
1: Yeah, I think some of it, might have to do with just the the extended FIBA run that he had he and and Mo Wagner had you know Mo uh, obviously off to a a hot start like right out of the gates this year Franz struggled a little bit especially with his efficiency early on something that the past two years Magic fans have, have really been looking for from Franz is sometimes he would just disappear in games you know he would go five or six possessions late in close games without even getting a touch And before Paolo, you know, came along like, hey, this guy is one of our best players, especially when he has it rolling at times. Like this guy needs to be touching the ball each each time down the floor. And this year, he's really tried to be a bit more aggressive. Like I can remember a a game a a couple of weeks ago where he didn't shoot the ball particularly well, but had like 26 field goal attempts. And the efficiency has, has taken a little bit to come along. Right now he's at forty six percent from the floor, thirty-two percent from behind the arc. Earlier in the year was below forty percent from the floor and around twenty-two percent from behind the arc. I think now like teams are just dialed in on Paolo and Franz. Like if we can take either one of those guys away and make life harder for everybody else on the floor, that seems to be most team strategy going into the games. So I've been pretty happy with Franz, especially like you mentioned the last week. Last two weeks, actually, you know, Eastern uh, Conference, you know, nominee for for player of the week. So maybe hasn't taken the the leap right out of the gates that we expected. But I think the last couple of weeks here, we're seeing him get to that level of what we expected him to get to. And if, you know, the Magic can keep rolling, hopefully, you know, he, he and Paolo will both be in all-star, you know, consideration. And out of a third-year guy, especially what we've seen the last couple of weeks and during that winning streak, really, really happy where Franz has been. So what are
0: the areas that you would target for improvement on a long-term basis?
1: Like, individually for Franz and Paolo, or just more just from Just to like help a team the team. Perspective? I mean, I guess this is—I'm
0: being assumptive in the sense that I feel like, listening to your pod, I didn't get the sense that you guys are like, we're title contenders, this is the final form. So I guess what I'm wondering is, knowing the pieces you already have in the fold, what do you think is the next big thing that can take the Magic to even— a legitimate contender, somebody right there at the end in the Eastern Conference picture.
1: Yeah, I think sort of where we're all at is sort of like you have these two franchise cornerstones in Palo and Franz. And, you know, we don't like to say one of those guys is like one or or two. Like it's it's 1A and 1B with those guys right now. They're both just so fantastic. And you're sort of at the point where you really just want to optimize what those guys are able to do. And offensively, especially, that's going to come with creating more space for those guys. So, a guy like Jalen Suggs, who has taken a huge leap, you know, in in three-point shooting. I know it's early. We sort of have a a small sample size. He's, you know, two years ago was at 22%. Last year was at 31 from behind the arc. Right now, he's almost up to 37% from behind the arc. If that can sustain itself, we're comfortable that we've got another guy long-term that can be in the starting lineup alongside those guys. Now the question is, is Markel Fultz the long-term answer at point guard? Or is Anthony Black the long-term answer at point guard, both of those guys being categorized essentially as non-shooters. And then Wendell Carter Jr., a guy that's been able to shoot basically league average from behind the arc the last couple of years. But each season of his career so far, it's been a question of can this guy stay healthy? So right now, that's sort of where we're at. Paolo and Franz, we know, you know, we feel pretty confident that we're good building around those guys. And it's just about uh, optimizing what those guys do well most likely adding more shooting around those guys long-term.
0: Now, I got the sense from your conversations on your most recent episode of the Six Man Show. You were talking about Markel Fultz uh, specifically, and he's one of the guys who's coming into free agency this next summer. You've got a guy under rookie control in black. Uh, His dollar figure is locked in. You have a certain window of time to use the money that you have, and then assuming everybody pans out, you're sort of locked into the core that you have. So being that you're still in those rookie windows, do you see them being players in free agency next summer?
1: We have this conversation, you know, especially during the off season, like today's NBA, like the free agency really happens through trades. Like a guy gets unhappy somewhere, he wants to force his way out. A, a conversation around the magic for a couple of years now has been like, "Oh, look at all the guards that they have," right? And as much as we love a lot of these young guys that are on the team—Anthony Black, Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs, and so on and so forth—at some point you have to consolidate assets. You know, the Magic have all of their uh, draft capital. You know, moving forward, at least in the first round, uh, Denver, although that pick won't be very high, owes them a number one overall pick in 20, or not uh, not number one overall pick, first round pick in 2025. So the, the feeling is sort of like at some point, the Magic are going to have to make a move, like especially if, if you're talking about our, our conversation that we had about Markel Fultz and sort of the question is when Markel Foltz does come back to the lineup, what does his role look like? Because we're now of the opinion that offense has been running through Paolo and Franz primarily since Markel has been out and the offense has been much better than we anticipated. Right now, they're 15th in offensive rating you know, uh, league wide throughout the season. And the offense really shouldn't go back to Markel Fultz getting, you know, the the bulk of the touches, essentially. So if you're talking about Markel not coming back next year, if you look at free agency, at least from the you know the point guard market, it's really not that rich of a market this coming year. So it seems like every year there's a, a star somewhere that is getting disgruntled. And I think that's sort of where the magic are at right now, and we're reserving some of that free agency, you know, that cap space is that they have the cap space available to absorb one of these big contracts if and when the time comes to consolidate. I really don't have a great answer for you unfortunately, Bob, because this summer like the the point guard market is just not really going to be that, you know, uh, enticing.
0: Understood. Yeah, not a great class. I can get that mentality. One of the other things that there are some parallels with is that uh, you guys seem to own the Boston Celtics and we have them on the schedule right alongside you we get a couple of games against the Magic and a couple against the Celtics in this next stretch what is it about Orlando and Boston where Orlando seems to have their number over the last couple
1: seasons so it's Eddie house it's it's really all Eddie house's fault uh, and we have pretty good evidence of that um so last year I think it was in December the Magic had like a weekend series in Boston where they played the Celtics on Friday and then again on Sunday, we beat them both times. Well, after the the victory against the Celtics on the Friday, Eddie House after the game essentially called the Magic garbage. Like said, this is a trash team. We shouldn't be losing to this team. They got 10 wins. They're still garbage. They're still not a good basketball team. They won't make the playoffs. They won't make the play-in. And everybody you know, in the, the Magic organization, the players included, heard that. And then came out that Sunday and and just whooped up on the Celtics after the game. I don't know if you remember, uh, but in the, the 2009 finals run, uh, for Alston and Eddie House sort of got into it in the Eastern Conference finals, which ended up with Rafer Alston just smacking Eddie House in the back of the head. After that Sunday game, every Magic player up and down the roster shared that gift to Twitter <laughs> and to say, Eddie House, like we heard what you said congratulations this is what it got you right and the magic haven't lost to the celtics i i believe since then and now you know, four, they,
0: they won their last four i guess in a row their
1: last four and they you know beat them again in the in-season the tournament and uh we've also been sort of dragged into this now because our, our producer was doing the the post game live after that game and said eddie house like do you hear us now like do you hear the orlando magic and the night that the magic were eliminated from the in-season tournament Eddie House quote tweeted that and said, oops, all for nothing. So now has sort of dragged us into that. Cole Anthony was on the low post with with Zach Lowe a couple of days ago. Yeah, I'm going to drop this
0: audio in while we're talking about this because I want our listeners to hear this. I can't play it in the moment because I'm technologically an idiot. But um, I'll, I'll put this into the episode. So if people hear this audio here, I'm interrupting Jonathan, but this is what he's referring to. We all, like to this day, we take that personal. We got... We didn't all watch the clip. We didn't watch the clips as a team. We 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 always go remember what he said about us. So it, it 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 is personal every single time we play Boston.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. And you know now Magic fans like they they got uh, eliminated by the Indiana Pacers. We're recording this you know Tuesday afternoon. They got eliminated Monday night, and I think like eighty something Magic fans went and tweeted <laughs> at Eddie House. Oops, all for nothing. Which was not prompted by us, by the way. We thought it was hilarious, but we had nothing to do with it. So we, we've now been dragged into the Orlando Magic versus Celtics and Eddie House drama. And this is fantastic. We There's really, nothing uh, I, love. I love
0: more than, than pettiness.
1: He's oh. got it in droves and, and thankfully so do Magic fans. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. It's all, it's all in good fun at the end of the day. It's just basketball. It's not that deep. But uh, we've really uh, appreciated it. We've got uh, two more matchups. We've got uh, another Friday and Sunday series in Boston in a couple of weeks here. Uh, how does your uh, December schedule look like? I know ours is pretty rough. It's absolutely brutal. 23 or 24 out of the next 27 games for the Magic, like going through the end of January, are all against playoff teams. And one of those teams that is, quote-unquote, not a playoff team, you're playing in Golden State. They're just outside the playoff picture right now. So December is is brutal, and January is is potentially even worse for us. So.
0: You can only beat who's in front of you. And the first team that is, is the Cleveland Cavaliers. So just to bring this back to my audience for a moment, what is it that worries you most?
1: And what are your just general impressions of the Cavaliers this season? Teams that have elite rim protection, the Magic have really struggled with this year. You know, thinking uh, just, you know, this this past game, you know, Nick Claxton for sure. So any team that is really able to just like pack the paint and dare the Magic to to knock down threes... When you have an elite, you know, rim protector like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, guys aren't really going to want to go to the rim. So our guys sort of following, falling in love with the the jump shot is something that I'm afraid of. And then just recently, you know, the last four games, the Magic have been, I think, uh, as of two days ago, they were 25th in defensive rating over the last four games. Still, you know, towards the top of the league for the season, but they've had a couple of days to practice Monday and Tuesday. With a real emphasis on let's get the defense dialed back in. So that's what I'm going to be looking forward to the most is seeing how the Magic, you know, embrace the challenge of guys like Donovan Mitchell and Darius again. So lock in defensively and then, you know, just do their best. You know, you're hoping that you can force some of those rim protectors into foul trouble early on. The Magic have been uh, towards the top of the league in free throw rate this year. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm looking out for in this matchup against the Cavs. We got to twice this week, so we'll see how it goes.
0: I hope that we prevail, obviously, but here's what I'm concerned about. Turnovers. Darius turnovers. And I think that's the general consensus amongst Cavs fans. He's off to a pretty rough start in terms of controlling the ball. And with the defensive players that you have in the backcourt, that could be problematic. But I can't thank you enough for taking some time uh, to join the Fear the Fro podcast. Jonathan Osborne, uh, you should all check him out uh, on podcasts, on Spotify, Apple, wherever you... Uh, check out your podcasts and give them a rating and a review for taking the time to talk with all of us and kind of fill us in on what's going on with the Orlando magic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you.
1: Yeah, Bob, thanks for having me. Really, really appreciate it. It was a fun conversation and a uh, good luck this week and and good luck to you all for the rest of the season. So there we go. That puts a bow on it. Fear the fro done for now. I am Bob Schmidt,
0: your lifelong Cavalier fan host. Please give me a rating. Give me a review. Give me a sub. If you haven't done those things already, if you have, well, I already love you unconditionally. So I'll see you next time on the Fear the Fro podcast. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro. It's over podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out fropod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.